Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Miami 38-14. Robbie and I were there. We tried as best we could to enjoy ourselves. How are you feeling today, man? Uh, we were not feeling that bad, and, and we weren't hurting that much after the, the game. So um, right now it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and really just kind of refocusing on the UVA game. And, um, you know, we'll get to this, but we've got another sport that's starting to uh, to uplift our spirits a little bit here and there. Yeah, man. Give us the cheers. So I think this, I mean, this cheers has got to be to the, the basketball team. Uh, I think that uh, the the big win, uh, and we'll get into the details a little bit more here at the Charleston Classic, the way that they played, who they beat, the opponent. Uh, I think all of it just came together and, and looked really like a nice win early in the season. Um, what a lot of us had expected for Buzz to be building over time. I know there was some impatience after year two and year three, but we're really seeming to hit full stride here with a lot of depth and we're even missing some players. So big cheers to the basketball team and the performance that they put out there in the Charleston Classic. It was fantastic to watch and an enthralling game uh, in and of itself. Cheers. Yeah, it's... uh... We'll get to that basketball in a minute. It is hate week, and I wanted to get that off my chest as well. We need to remember that, especially this week, this year, more than most. I think we just need to focus on how much we dislike UVA because the team's not very good, so we should enjoy um, the hate, as you would say, as as we can for right now because the game might not go our way. Let's do that basketball news and note because that was a huge win for the team. Purdue was a ranked team. It was a, the finals of the Charleston Classic. We beat them. 25 points for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He was MVP of the tournament. 23 for Hill, 23 for Robinson. And we really fought back in the game because we took a big deficit in the first half. And the whole time, though, I never felt like we were out of the game. I felt like Purdue was hitting shots and they were playing well. And that guy who's like 100 years old was just scoring in the post over and over again. Yeah. But to their credit, they really played great in the second half. Yeah, they really did. Uh, you know, I, I brought up the uh, – I sent a tweet out about it, but, you know, when we were down – it wasn't when we were down 12. That was kind of the – you know, the where we bottomed out. Um, but I think we were down eight at the time. And something happened, and Justin Robinson just – just started kind of like, you know, laughing under his breath, just like looked too, totally calm and collected. And I sat there and I was like, oh, well, all the nerves that I had going into like that moment were alleviated. Not that I thought we were necessarily going to come back and, and, and win the way that we did uh, or in a convincing fashion the way that we did. But you just looked at this team, and you're like, man, they're, they've just hit a new level of, of confidence with each other on the, on the court. There's a lot of maturity and Walker is Alexander Walker is so he's smooth in his delivery. He's gets points so easily. Like you don't you look up and you're like, holy crap, he has 17 points. He has 25 points. Like how did that happen? Because he's like low key with it, and he could potentially jump to the league uh, next year. But for right now, he's at Tech and he is balling. And I I love that kid, man. And he still looks like a kid. He like some of the guys have grown up a lot over the years. He's only a sophomore, and he still looks like a kid out there. But he's so good. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's good for the resume, beating Purdue. Um, I'm imagining that they're going to be a pretty solid team this year. So that should help us out in March. We moved up to the th- to number 13 in the AP poll with the win. I uh, thought we might crack into the top ten, but um, it doesn't. It still doesn't matter at this point. But it's it's nice to be ranked, uh, not the highest ranking uh, ever for Tech. We still have a couple more spots to go to get to that. But that's the kind of world we're living in, where we might get to the point where we're the highest ranked team in Virginia Tech history, which is pretty nuts. Yeah, I know most people don't really put much credence into to their coverage and what they do these days. But, you know, ESPN just popped us into their pop, top 10 on the power rankings. Um, so it's it's leaning that direction. And, um, you know, they're starting to get recognition as that type of program. But, you know, in the AP, um, we, we got a few more spots to go. Yeah, it's a mature team and they're really fun to watch. 
uh, unlike the football team has been this year. It's the exact opposite, actually. It's the most immature team and a team that's been no fun to watch as of late. The basketball team has been great, and it's been a nice little insertion into late November here to be able to watch some basketball while the while the football team is suffering. I think I said this to you in our car ride home the other day. You know, we've got the worst football team in, like, decades, and we've got the best basketball team in decades. And, and potentially ever, it's kind of it's kind of weird how it's working out this year. Well, it could have been a lot worse if they both hit at the same time, right? Then we <laughs> we wouldn't have that's anything true. to help us out. We're lucky we're not going through the James Johnson era right now. That's for sure. The Marshall game—that's something that happened while we were at Tech, right before the Miami game. They announced that we are tentatively scheduling a game with Marshall for next weekend. It is dependent on us beating UVA. This is obviously so we can go 6 and 6 and get to a bowl. What bothered me about this was not the fact that we're getting our 12th game. We've been talking all season how we kind of won a 12th game. Maybe you less than me, but the conditionality of this was weird. Uh, that that's what bothered me. Just schedule it or don't schedule it. Don't base it on if we have a chance at a bowl. Yeah, yeah, and you and I have talked about this. I I the conditionality is bad. Um I think uh, the viewpoints have changed as we've gotten worse, or at least it's become recognized how bad that we are. And then when you realize how uh, poorly we are playing on the field right now, and then you schedule a team like Marshall instead of a team like, you know, like we joke about Rice or, you know, a, a, a team like somebody that's really, really bad. And I know it was tough to schedule, but that doesn't mean that you schedule it because. I I said it. I'll say it again. We go into that game, depending on how UVA go, goes. Uh, I think there's a chance that you know if if we're if we're favored by maybe three, then it's just a pick 'em overall, like three points basically. You know we're taking, but I don't think it would be much more than that. Um, and in fact, I think we could be favored by like two, and that really means that Marshall's favored in the actual game. Yeah, it's. It's not a surefire win by any stretch. And by scheduling it and them knowing that you need that game to go to a bowl, how much do they want to beat you and spoil that? We we talked about how it's a little bit of a local rivalry. Like they don't like us very much. We used to play more often. It, it's uh it's just it's a tough situation. But here's the thing. It it's probably not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I hope it happens because that means we beat UVA. But even if we beat UVA, which would be a feat in and of itself, Marshall is not going to be an easy team to beat. Like, they're going to be fired up to play that game. I, it's, I wanted the 12th game. I did want a full season, so it's hard to complain. The chances are, well, I don't want to say chances are it's not going to happen because I don't want to go full doom and gloom just this early in the podcast. But there's a good chance it won't happen anyway. But it's just it's a definitely a, been a strange year man it's just been a strange year and this is like kind of the icing on the cake the conditionality of this game and that Ravel tweet about the 1.4 million that they're going to get whether they played or not that's not all coming from us everyone kind of re- overreacted to that and we're going to pay them but it's a modest amount of money and it might end up in us getting rid of ecu in the upcoming years and having a home and home situation so it could work out Better, well, it's also because that's also because of the insurance money. So that the so it's not fully like we did. <laughs> we would have we would have paid more to play this game. Just so everybody's clear, like mm-hmm. so it, we got off on the cheap side because of the insurance money that everybody kind of had flow into this whole situation where games get canceled and everybody has their games insured for things like this. So I'm pretty sure it would have been higher. But in any case, you're right. There was a huge overreaction. I overreacted because I saw it and I was like, there's no way we can be doing this. And then once you realize that the million dollars was coming in from, you know, the other side um, from South Carolina and, you know, it kind of all made sense. But I. I, I I'm not so sure that um that this was the the best idea in my mind. I still stick to my ground. I know the extra practices are good. I know we want 12 wins. I know we want the bowl streak. But imagine that you beat UVA and you start to put yourself on fo- solid footing, right, going in, and then you lose to Marshall. All the yeah. solid footing that you put yourself on going into the off season is now completely washed away, and you have a loss to ODU and Marshall in the same season that you had your worst season ever. You missed a bowl, and then the only thing you kept alive was the UVA streak. 
that is a that is a scenario uh, that that could very well play out. And you're right. If you do beat UVA, you could end on that high note and and just the idea of the guys gearing themselves up again. You know, like you gear yourself up for UVA. That's why it's always the last game and they like throw everything into it. And then you got to play Marshall the next week. Like that's if you win, like you said, coming down from that win, which would be huge for us, it's going to be hard to rev it back up again. But we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Moving on to different bad news. Rico Kearney and Sean Savoy have announced that they're transferring. The timing, I think, of this is the most concerning thing. The players themselves had showed promise at some point. I made my comments about Savoy just last week that I didn't really think he belonged on the field, so losing him, not a huge deal to me. Kearney had 18 tackles for his Boston College, and I thought could develop and deepen this linebacker core that already has Ashby and Rivers and Dax uh, and Artis is in there and Tisdale. Like there's a lot of you know high recruited guys. It's weird because he was playing that he would leave, and how it's weird how they both would announce it the week of the UVA game. Yeah, before you play UVA, and then you have them piling onto each other about you know this isn't going to be the last one, and I get the whole point of. Um, you know, guys that don't play are typically the ones that end up leaving, and they're also more likely to say stuff. Like, there's been a lot of that thought process, um, which is fine. I get it. But let's just also be clear that Virginia Tech has has made its bread and butter off of three-star recruits, people that didn't play. Like, yeah, you know, nobody was, like, scouting Sam Rogers, and, and, like, you know, and he's one of the only, you know, five players in that class that played in the NFL. Like, you know, the, there's just a little bit of... Um, I understand it, and it's not the individuals. It's the culmination of all of it. And I've, I sent that tweet out, and sadly, I sent that tweet out when Kearney left and then Savoy left. So I said, it's not just it's not just Mook. It's not just Alexander. It's not just Cam Good. It's not just Trayvon Hill. It's not just Planton. It's not just Kearney. <laughs> it's not just Sean Savoy, and it's not just Jalen Scott. It's when you put all of that into a compressed time frame. Wait, who's Jalen Scott? <laughs> so wait, no, oh, I'm Galen saying, Scott. Galen, Galen Scott. Scott. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you always pronounce it right. I always pronounce it wrong. But that that culmination of story within that confined time frame sets a narrative that doesn't really, like, you can only excuse so many things. Like, when you get to the 85th player or 84th player and you have to excuse the 86th or 85th and 86th, you're like... Man, well, there was a real good reason that we did it, or you know, there's a real good reason that they left. Yeah. It only lasts for so long. Like we, like you can't keep going. And if there's more coming, those numbers are like unprecedented. Like I'm, I'm impressed program. that you were able to run off all those names back to back to back to back. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and because that's a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah, well, that was just in order. Um, so, and then you know. Then you tack, tack that on with everybody that left early, and I'm happy those guys left early. I'm glad that they're doing great in the NFL and everything. But, I mean, that's just a lot of attrition. You you basically – that's a that's a whole new program you're dealing with. I mean, that's a whole, like, recruiting it, cycle. It's, a whole, it's like a side of the ball. You know, it's, it's a lot of guys. And from the outside looking in, it seems like Fuente is losing the team a bit. That could be completely untrue. But that's what a lot of people are saying and thinking is that they're looking at this and they're looking at guys leaving midseason. We've had three guys leave midseason. Other guys leave right before the season. Well, and Hill was also. That's four dismissed that's four. or left during the four season. Four d- yeah. dismissed or left during the season while it was actually being played. Right. And you had guys transfer like McMillan before and, you know. And good was after the first Good was after the first practice. <laughs> and that was right. So <laughs> like I, they... I am holding out hope. Like I say all that to say this, like it looks like there's a problem going on and that players are tweeting about it and you know there's more coming and all that BS, you know, the culture's bad, whatever. I am still gonna hold out hope that what the coaches are saying is true and that there are leaders back there and that this is still the trickling of the culture that Fuente is trying to create being defined. And when you have that happening, guys want to get out. And we were talking to our friend Nick, and Nick's like, you know, the best players, like you don't see Dax leaving. You know, you don't see Sean Gaines leaving. Like these guys are the guys that hold it together because they're the best players for a reason, because they're loyal and they work hard. And the guys who can't tough it out, 
they decide they want to jump ship, and that's fine. I, I don't need Savoy on the team. I don't need Cam Good on the team. I, if they want to work, I want them on the team. You know, and if you if you're going to complain about playing time in your second year, <clears throat> you you probably aren't going to cut the mustard anywhere you go. Uh, like, and you're probably not going to make it to the NFL. Like, no, let's I, be honest. I, I totally agree with you. I I'm just saying that. Uh, I, I totally agree, and absolutely. But right now we're playing third strings on defense. So guess what? If you want to do, never cut off your nose to spite your face. That's yes. what, that's what I, I always say because right now there is no way Bud Foster two years ago forecasted that this year he would have the people on the field that he does. That kind of stuff can just – you don't know what's going to happen, even just from injuries and things like that. And when you're losing depth, the only answer is you're starting over fresh. Like people are like, oh, yeah, now we have uh, scholarships open. Those people are coming in. Like you're saying that you know, in your second year that if you're not cutting it, well, those people are coming in. Pretty soon it's going to be their second year, right? So like you are starting over, even if that's a good place to be. And our recruiting has been good. It's not lighting the world on fire. We are not like like a top eight recruiting class. Like we are kind of kind of rebuilding as all every time that we lose people like this, especially if that we continue to have injuries um, on the defensive side of the ball and and things like that. So that's all I'm saying is it's, and, it's and just tough. Fuente should absolutely be doing potentially a better job at trying to convince these guys to stay and he he might be trying his damnedest and i'm assuming that he is but and if the culture was better and the team was winning these guys might stay and that just you know they don't they don't want to stick around while the team's losing and maybe fuente's culture isn't fully established and that's their decision yeah i am i am still holding out hope that it will get established because what else can i hope for because yeah. if I'm if I'm not hoping for that, then I want Fuente fired. No, and so, no, no, I don't and, think and that's I, the case. I'm and just I don't saying think that we can do that after a ten coach, win and a nine win season. Not everybody's coach meshes well with necessarily every player's kind of way of going about things, right? Like, and some coaches have different ways of going about it. His might just not mesh with these types of players. And, and he I just, stressed that they lacked maturity. Yeah. He, that's essentially what he said, is these particular players, they've been through some things with them. They lack maturity. There's been these setbacks where, like, you know, we put Savoy on the second string and Savoy puts out a social media thing, like, about it, you know? Yeah. And, 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 like, that type of stuff is – it's. Mm-hmm. It's a lack of maturity. That's all he said. And so, and that's fine. Some guys mature later than others, but they, they didn't want to stick around and they're gone. Yep. My last point regarding all of that too, is that Notre Dame went four and eight two years ago, right? We, we were part of that. We beat them for one of those eight losses and now they're undefeated and going to the playoff. We are, we are on the, on the brink of having a four and seven season, potentially a, five and whatever it could be or six and six whatever but we're on we're having a bad season and it could be just like that four and eight notre dame team now notre dame recruits better than us but it it, there's a lot of similarities there kelly was under all kinds of scrutiny uh he had success and then he didn't have success and look at him now they're undefeated and that that's the type of scenario now whether we're undefeated in two years unlikely but can we get nine or ten wins it's very possible. So I'm tr- like, let's try to weather this storm because you look at the laundry list of who we've lost. It's I, I just put out a tweet. You can go to my Twitter, you know, PBVT. It's all the guys that we expected to contribute this year who will not be on the field versus CVA, and it's a long list. So we have to weather this storm. Even if we lose to UVA and we go four and seven, Notre Dame was four and eight, and they are undefeated this year currently. So let, let, let's. Think think about things like that. Those types of scenarios, like that team, just needed a lot of work. I did want to say regarding the weekend, it was great seeing everyone that we got to run into. We spent some time with Andrew and Sarah Berlin uh, before the game. That was a lot of fun. Andrew Berlin is the like most positive hooky fan I think I've ever met. That's <laughs> that's uh, the guy who makes the videos, Bill Dozer. That's his brother, Andrew, and. He like uh, he was still telling us like why all the reasons that we're gonna beat Miami like right as we're walking to the game together. I love that guy. That it was it was awesome to hang out with him and Sarah. 
And then later on in the night, we met this guy, Alexi, who was one of our listeners. He invited us to his tailgate. We didn't see the message till later. Alexi, we're sorry we didn't make it to the tailgate, but we did hang out late night. And him and his wife, I think her name was Kimberly. Is that right? Uh, I think so. We, we might be getting that wrong. I'm sorry. Um, but they were a lot of fun, weren't they? Yeah, we had a, we went to hit up some tots, um, and then uh, we made the, made all the rounds. It was pretty much the entire late night. So uh, I know you ended up uh, in bed relatively early. I, I think that was the night that I snapped a yeah, photo. Thanks, thanks a lot for that. We were both <laughs> back at the hotel, but we had drank all day long. But, yeah, if you fall asleep first – those things are going to happen. We all know the rules. <laughs> uh, no, but it was a, it was an awesome, awesome day, awesome night, and really just overall just a great weekend. It was a fantastic weekend despite the loss for sure. Well, let's hop into the game recap. You know, 20 minutes into the podcast, let's start talking about the game. I'm gonna uh, we had a lot of things. Short and just sweet. How about that? <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of things to get to. Uh, we were missing some new people in this one. There was no Kuma. There was no Grimsley. McLeese was out again, but we did get Watts back, who was playing with like pins in his arm or something, a plate or something. Belmar, Hewitt were also back. Ladler started at whip, Diablo at free safety. There was a lot of our original pieces in place on defense, actually, in this one. Um, doesn't There's still a lot of guys out, but some of our original pieces were back, and it was nice. And as usual, we started great. Scored on a five-play, 76-yard drive to begin the game. Went up 7-0. TD passed to Keene, the guy who we've been talking about, his perfect completion percentage. Miami responded with a 13-play drive, but we were able to hold them to a field goal. The defense played well early. Unfortunately, Willis threw a bad interception, his first really bad interception, I'd say, of the season. Shortly thereafter, and Miami scored a quick touchdown, put them up 10-7. And to Willis's credit... He bounced right back, took us down the field, 10 plays, 75 yards. Trey Turner scored on a 20-yard run. So at that point, we're up 14-10 to 10 with 10.06 left in the second quarter. I'm pointing out the time for, for a reason. Uh, we had a couple more failed drives for the half. Miami was able to move the ball 71 yards with under three minutes left in the half to go up 17-14. to 14. And that, that was kind of a killer score. And we know how bad we've played in second halves. It was no different here. Third quarter, three touchdowns from Miami in every single way possible. Long run, a punt return, and a pass from Perry. That was pretty much it. Only one drive over 50 yards in the second half for Virginia Tech. And that one ended in an interception. So if you go from that 10-minute mark that I mentioned, Robbie, to the end of the game, uh, of the second quarter, how much? That, that's 40 minutes? 40 yeah. minutes of game time <laughs> we didn't score? It's a tale as old as time, um, to quote a, a nice Disney movie. So uh, that's uh, that's what we're doing at this point. So it, it as soon as well, us coming out, we have an extremely efficient offense on early our first, second, third drives. Usually, we score on our first drive, and then um, I came up with I think an analogy that works for this, and I think uh, it would it would be behoove me to tell the story to like the listeners that we have. So like. I, I equate this to like smoking like pork butt, like meat. Like uh, this is this is how it goes. So I have friends over. I'll smoke like a pork butt. And there's a stall that happens when you cook like large pieces of meat and smoke it at like a low and slow 225 temperature where it'll get up to about 160. And you're trying to get like, you know, a, quite a bit higher than that. And it'll get there like really, really quickly. And then it just stalls for like six hours that like the temperature doesn't like change at all. And then, you know, it'll pick up like towards the end. And hopefully you're lucky. It's about the time that everybody's yelling at you that they want to eat, that it'll finish off its temperature. But there's like a gap where the temperatures not change whatsoever. And you're just freaking out. That's what I would equate our our offense to. It just starts out fast, gets ramped up, and then it just stalls. Unfortunately, that pickup of temperature, like right at the end for us, is just called garbage time. So it doesn't even mean anything to the overall game. Um, And it's it's rough to watch. Uh, It is. And you know it's coming before it even happens, but you're still not fully prepared for it. Why are we... Why are we able to start like that and score somewhat easily in a bunch of games this year? First, second drives, third drives of the game into the second quarter. And then it's just like it shuts down. 
and we cannot do anything. I mean, the we did a few Instagram lives and we discussed this while we were driving back. Uh, like, what is the adjustment that the defenses are doing that Cornelson cannot overcome? Are our guys just getting tired? Uh, and their guys aren't tired yet. Like, I, it's got to be a combination of many factors, but. Every week, third quarter, we haven't scored in the third quarter in October or November. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's been brutal, and I I don't know what that adjustment is, or if it's even an adjustment, or if it's us, uh, the offense, you know, and it's just our inability to either kind of in some instances stick with what we've been doing, and then and some other instances just shift away from like things that are working really really well, um, and almost be in our own heads. I I don't know. I don't I don't have the the answer for it. I just know yeah. what I see on the field and it looks ugly. In terms of the reaction we had while watching the game, there was no real reaction. We knew this was coming and it was nice to be up for a little bit in the first half, but I don't think I don't think most people who watched the team week in and week out felt anywhere near comfortable when they saw a score a couple touchdowns in the first half. Like you, because until we see it for sixty minutes again, we're not going to believe it, and and that's the problem is that we can hang for a little while with teams, but we cannot sustain anything, whether it's offense or defense. Like one of them is going to give way at some point during the game, and you're not going to get any points, or you're going to give up a whole bunch of points. And on Miami, both of them happened. And we lost by a pretty large margin. I mean, you consider the fact that UVA beat Miami this year, and we just lost 38-14. to 14. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we went – I think we gave up 10 or 11 tackles for loss, two interceptions, eight pass breakups, which, I mean, that's insane. We went two for 12 on third down. I, I mean, these are just – I mean, really just abysmal stats that you just can't overcome that kind of thing. I don't know how you even would. We can dive into a little bit more of the details of the offense and defense and then move on to UVA because I, I wanted to say that the guy that we were proclaiming was better than Josh Jackson just had his worst game. Now, to be fair to Willis, this was the best defense we've played all season as well. But he didn't have a great game. Uh, Numbers-wise, interception-wise, it, it wasn't pretty. And you know the debate of Josh or him isn't really a debate because Josh isn't healthy. But uh, but it's something we were talking about with people while we were down there, and we all we the goal is that neither of their progress to this point is static. So whatever we see on the field next year, whether it's Willis or Josh, will be improved from whatever we saw this year. Yeah, I, I, and I, I mean, let's be honest. He was getting a lot of pressure, to say the yeah. least. In fact, the offensive lineman came out and said it after he took a, a a big shot at the end of the game, and he had taken a few big shots and all the tackles for losses, the sacks. I mean, it, it was um, it was not pretty for him by any stretch. That's not an excuse, but it was not pretty for anybody. Uh, I would say on the defense side of the ball, Ricky played you know hard again. Dax had um five between the two of them they had five and a half tackles for a loss uh between Dax and and Ricky so that was nice Ashby came out um and had 14 tackles so there there was a lot of good I think that that happened on the defensive side but it just it's just not enough I mean there's they're too thin and the offense isn't good enough to ever make us really competitive right now in, in these games yeah, one of the few things I've enjoyed from the defense is watching Dax, you know, look like he shot out of a cannon in the beginning of games and making plays. And it, it's fun because that's one of the few guys we're seeing out there that is going to be around for a few years, at least knock on wood. I hope so because he's going to be really good one day. Really, really good. He's already pretty good. Trey Turner continues to emerge. Last thing I wanted to mention. Over 100 total yards and a touchdown. Leads the team in yards per catch. True freshman, man. I, that is also nice. So we've got a, a true freshman on one side of the ball making a ton of plays in Zach, Dax, and we got another guy in Trey making plays on the offense. And Trey's made some mistakes, but you can tell that guy's going to be a baller. 
Yeah, I agree. And he's, you know, he has he has made some mistakes to your point, but it, you know, you got to take into account where he's at in his career right now and that those things are going to, you know, start to get straightened out and um I think he's really starting to come into come into his own. He already had he had a couple, you know, you know, good games. He had a couple games where he didn't play so well, but now it's starting to look really um come together. I hope it continues. For sure. Do you want to take a quick beer break before we move on to UVA? Yeah, let's do it. What are you drinking, man? So I'm, uh, as you know, I'm up uh, recording out of my lap, basically, in Ohio. I'm up in Dublin, right outside of Columbus. So guess what? Um, you get Columbus beers these, uh, this week. So, wow, uh, you're in the real hate week up there. I'm in Michigan the, this week for Ohio State. Yeah, we might pop over there for the uh, for the tailgate for a little bit. So oh, cool. uh, it could be, could be good. This is the... Um, Land Grant uh, Brewing Company Stiff Arm IPA. It's obviously brewed in Columbus. There's there's rumors coming. Um, so from my uh, my sister in law, uh, it was one of the people that got this for me because she wanted me to drink some Columbus beers on here. There's rumors coming from her that I need gonna need to verify that the reason it's called Stiff Arm IPA is it's the only IPA that they could get into Ohio State Stadium. Um, so all the other ones are blocked out. Um, from I'm assuming they just sell it up in the club seats or whatever the case may be because I don't think Ohio State does uh, alcohol sales right now. At least I don't think so i, I don't gotcha. um and uh they were the only ip so it was like the stiff arm to everybody else that i don't know and i'm gonna question that until i find that out it's for, a good story either way it's a good story but it's a it's a pretty good ipa you know it's not it's not great it's mind-blowing but i'll tell you what if they were selling this um in uh in the stadium in the shoe uh and we were up in the club seats i would definitely uh i would definitely drink it because it's pretty um it's pretty good yeah how about you I'm drinking the Mojo IPA by Boulder Beer Company, Boulder, Colorado. It's a good IPA. I'm drinking it because it's called Mojo, and I'm hoping that we get our Mojo back this week because we we really need to. It's got a pretty good balance of bitterness and malt. You can really taste the malt when you as you're finishing your sip. Uh, I I like it. I'm not sure I've had any Boulder Beer Company beers before. I probably have just some point but it's very tasty 7.2 percent alcohol mojo ipa i'd recommend it let's move on to virginia 3 30 p.m black friday november 23rd virginia is seven and four this year four and three in the conference and they are coached by bronco mendenhall they are currently 44th in the s p plus and over the summer they put a big emphasis on beating Virginia Tech. They did. They got out a hammer and they did slam a piece of slate that had uh Virginia Tech markings on it, I believe. So yeah, uh there was something like that. It said I think it might have said like I can't remember. Beat tech or something. Yeah, beat tech and they beat it with a sledgehammer. Um but um here we are. That sledgehammer may have worked because uh it's a real possibility of what could be on the table for this week and it, it makes me uh Makes me a little bit sad that it's we're even this worried about it. UVA hasn't beaten a ton of good teams this year. Uh, they've they just lost to Georgia Tech. They beat Duke like we did. They beat Miami, which we talked about a little bit earlier, and that's probably their best win of the season. Still, for them, this has been a fantastic season, and we're at a point where if we were able to beat them this year then like they might never beat us <laughs> because yeah. like they've they're they're favored for only what the third time in 20 years that, that they've been actually favored and then beyond that we are completely decimated by injuries and the chemistry and the culture has been completely off this year and the offense stinks and the defense stinks so we're expected to lose which in some ways is a huge relief because if they had beaten us in any of the years where we were you know, competing for the ACC or trying to get to a, a BCS bowl or something, that would have been a lot more devastating. This year, it'd be like, all right, bound to happen one day. <laughs> I, I, I loved your take on this because uh, I hadn't really thought about it that way, which is like, if they're going to beat us in any year, let's just like have it be 
really, really bad. Like we just got to be like a bad team coming off four losses. Listen, I don't want five losses, and I especially don't want that fifth one coming uh, at at home. But um, you know, you're you're right that if uh, if if this is what it takes for them to beat us, then it's going to happen eventually. Maybe maybe so be it. And I'm not ready to just, you know, kind of give up on this because I think there's a lot of things that, that could happen in this game. But I, I think your point is funny about the, the fact that, you know, if it takes this much for them to win, then, you know, have at it. It's a rivalry game. And, you know, they, they, the old joke is throw out the records. We, let's hope we can throw out the records because when you look at the two teams and the way they've been playing – there's no reason that Virginia Tech should really win. Uh, there, nothing would lead you to believe that we can win. They've got a good defense, they've got a good offense, and they've got this good quarterback in Bryce Perkins. He's a JUCO guy, uh, Arizona State transfer, 6'3", 215, and he's a true dual threat. He is equally dangerous running and passing. He had a great passing game against Georgia Tech, and he even got banged up in that game. Yeah, he's got nine, what eight twenty eight touchdowns and nine picks this year uh, in terms of total twenty eight total touchdowns, including his rushing TDs. Yeah, nine on the ground, nineteen through the air. You know, if you just look at him passing, it's weird. He's got a sixty five percent completion percentage, relatively decent. Not nothing. That's like, pretty you know, good. That's pretty good. <laughs> and but he's nineteen uh, TDs to nine interceptions, so a little high, right? Like you know, on the interceptions, um, but. What he makes up for those interceptions is certainly on the ground. Another 730 yards rushing on the ground with the nine TDs. Um, he is a true, as you mentioned, dual threat. And you have to take into account he's been sacked 29 times. That is a ton of sacks. I was trying to see where that came in. 99th in sacks allowed per game. That's where UVA sits. They're They're way down there. So they're not protecting him very well. And he still has 730 yards rushing because sacks get factored into the quarterback's rushing total. So from scrimmage, he has like over 900 yards rushing. He He's a tremendous runner. And historically, that's been our kryptonite. We can't let him get too comfortable early. He is dealing with an ankle, which might be the best news I've heard. Uh, that's what he went out with in the game against Georgia Tech. If he's got a kind of a bum ankle, he says he's going to play. He's probable. He, he's like, I'm going to play. But Broncos said he was surprised that he came back in last week. If he's got a little bit of a gimpy ankle, hopefully that just means he won't run as much. That, that That's the best thing we can hope for. Yep. As for their actual running back, Jordan Ellis, he is a solid, unspectacular back. That's what I'd say. 4.9 yards per carry, eight touchdowns, almost 900 yards. It's uh, he's good. He's a good player. Uh, not overly big, not overly quick. He's just a solid running back that they have a system that works well. Um, I'm not particularly scared of him. I'm much more scared of the wide receiver Olamide Zacchaeus, who we've seen do all kinds of dirty things to us over the years. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, on Ellis, I mean, let's be honest. If we want to, if we're gonna, if we're gonna dish it, uh, then we better take it as well you know we were pretty excited about having a thousand yard back uh and he's probably going to be at a thousand yards uh after after the bowl game um so and <laughs> if not after this game right <laughs> yeah so um let's if we're gonna dish it then we gotta take it right so uh you know he's the, he is a serviceable back is how i would consider it he's not blowing anybody's hair back but um but when we get to skius uh <laughs> 78 receptions for 918 yards. Um, probably going to be at a thousand yards uh, after they play us. Uh, it may take in the bowl game to get there in six TDs. Uh, yeah, he's frightening, uh, as, uh, and as, as you mentioned. And then uh, Dubois with uh, another 463 and four touchdowns. And then Reed has five touchdowns as well. So yeah, they've. Um, They've they've had some talent there and those those positions and that's probably the interesting the three most kind of scary people on this uh, in this um, you know this offense and really on the team that I'm looking at there's a we'll get to the defense but Perkins Ellis and Zacchaeus are a little bit frightening. Yeah, I'd say Joe Reed. He doesn't have a ton of receptions, but he's their deep threat and he's got five touchdowns. 
that I would I would even throw him in there. Zacchaeus is also a guy they'll use in the run game. They've used him more in years past rushing the ball. He's only got 73 yards rushing this year, but that's something else to look out for. Tight end Evan Butts came on strong last year, cracked his way into the starting lineup. <laughs> 15 receptions, 129, and two touchdowns. I I couldn't wait to say that. You, uh, you, you stayed up all night thinking of that one. Yeah, right? Um He's good too. I mean, they got guys who can catch the ball, uh, and they and with between Perkins is by far the second leading rusher on the team. So between him and Ellis and the three guys, four guys at receiver, receiver, it's it's a decent offense. They're only 59th in yards per play and 64th in S and P plus. So it's not overly dynamic and crazy good. But for what Virginia has been putting on the field. The last few years, it's it's pretty darn good being right down the middle of FBS. Yep. I mentioned the offensive line being 99th in sacks. They're much better in terms of tackles for loss. So they aren't letting people in the backfield so much. Maybe Perkins is holding on to the ball a little too long sometimes, and that's why he's taking so many sacks. But, yeah, decent O, solid receiving options, good running. We'll see. Defense. 47th in yards per play, 35th in S&P Plus, which is very similar to where Boston College sits. And I, I've been likening it to Boston College in terms of quality overall, but it's completely different in where the strengths are because this defensive line is nothing like Boston College's defensive line. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the pressure up front and you have – Chris Peace with six sacks uh, on the year. Um, and after that, you kind of look across everybody else and, and you look at what that pressure is going to look like. And um, that that's not where it really comes from uh, necessarily. It's more, it's more back end driven for this UVA, uh, for this UVA defense, which is a lot different from what you usually see from uh, BC, which is at least at the middle, if not up in, 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 in front as well. And Peace is, is not even a defensive end. He, he's no. really an outside linebacker. That's right. And they stand him and Snowden up on the outside, mm-hmm. and they'll have them rush. So it's a little bit of a hybrid situation going on. And and Peace and Snowden are are good. They're good players. They both have you know ten tackles for loss and seven and a half tackles for loss. The two middle linebackers are good. They just got Jordan Mack back. He missed four games, but in the last two weeks. He's made 22 tackles. He's one of their inside guys. So having him back is a huge bonus for their defense. On the line, and this is where my point was originally, is that at end they've got no one really to speak of at defensive end. Unless they're rushing their linebackers from the outside, their defensive ends are really young. They're playing freshmen. Eli Handback is the guy at nose tackle. We've we've seen his name in years past. Only three tackles for a loss for him, and he's the only healthy defensive lineman with more than two tackles for loss. So their strength is off the line of scrimmage. They they do the 3-4, so they've got the four linebackers who are all pretty good and just swarming to the football. And that's that's where the strength of their defense has been. The the best group though is the defensive backs and the way they've been denying any wide receiver the ball. The, the amount of pass breakups is ridiculous. They're number 1 in DB havoc in the country. Like UVA of all teams is number one in DB Havoc, and that's mainly due to all the broken up passes. Well, Bryce Hall has the broken stat of the day. Like I looked at it, I had to check it, I checked it again, checked it at another site. He has 19 pass breakups. The next highest on the team is like six. The I, like go look at Virginia Tech stats on pass breakups, and it's like that is insane with two interceptions. 19 is ridiculous. That is in, because and pass breakups It's the most in the nation. Yeah, it's pass the breakups the they usually don't like counting because it's kind of hard to like what's a pass it, it is a conflicted um kind of metric I guess and 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 one and probably the most um conflicted in terms of metrics that because it's like is it a pass breakup they just didn't catch it you know what is it um and he i think the 19 gives him room for error to be uh really really good <laughs> true it's true but there's a lot of guys who have like five and six and seven yep. so the, he's he's taking a lot of them and he's really freaking good but the other guys are all like doing their jobs and, and performing well when when the quarterback has to go away from Hall because obviously you don't want to throw at him too much because 
What, what does he have five interceptions as well? Oh no no, it, um, Thornhill has five interceptions, but he oh, has okay. two, and that's why I he thought the stat was completely wrong because Thornhill only has like six pass breakups, but five interceptions, and then Bryce Hall has nineteen pass breakups and two interceptions. So that's why I kept checking it because uh, it didn't yeah. make any sense to me, but I think it's right. Obviously, Hall's getting more opportunities because Thornhill's a safety. Mm-hmm. They've got other guys back there, Nelson and Harris and Bratton, and it's it's a good defensive backcourt, man. It really is. Especially, I said they're number one in DB Havoc. They're number 96 in front seven Havoc. So there's a big gap there in terms of where it's dangerous to, to play against GBA. And so this screams Stephen Peoples. I mean, this screams running game. Like, you have to run the ball on this team. They're still still good against the rush because they are do play a three four and that's generally better against the rush. But you you have to establish the running game. Even if it's not working, you need to run Stephen Peoples. It's senior day for all intents and purposes. Even though there might be another game against Marshall, this is going to be senior day. It's freaking Stephen Stephen Peoples. We saw what Sam Rogers did on senior day. <laughs> let's have a similar effort here. Let's get him the ball and let's break this defense down a little. So we can let Willis and the receivers work. I think there's one other thing that you might see that may cause some anxiety in this game. The screen pass is going to be showing itself in ways that it, uh, I think that's going to be our, it's going to be peoples and, and the screen pass. I, I, if I had to guess what we're going to see out there, it's going to be even higher percentage <laughs> well, than it usually is. <laughs> well, we know what we're going to see. We're going to see screen passes. We're going to see jet sweeps. <laughs> We're going to see people slamming into the line a few times, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, it, unless Cornelson decides to do something creative, which I'm praying that they were holding some stuff back the last couple of weeks to use against UVA. I, I am praying there's something <laughs> in the cupboard that we have not seen, whether that involves Quincy Patterson or whatever, because Quincy has one more game. So will we rotate him in there to get a little change up? I hope we use him in ways that seems constructive, <laughs> as we've discussed, because sometimes it doesn't always seem well thought out. The D is damn good. I mean, it's 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 a good defense. So we'll, we'll see what we can do. Let's do a beer break and then give final thoughts and picks. Pete, what are you having? I am having the Laramere Beer Company domestically challenged. It's got a guy with a big beard on the can, and he's wearing an apron. And it's a dry-hopped Pilsner. This is from Denver, Colorado. I had another Laramere Beer Company beer maybe three or four weeks ago. That was an IPA. This is a Pilsner. It's it's very good. I, the dry-hopped Pilsners are not necessarily my favorite type, but, uh, but I'm getting through it. And it's... It, Listen, with the weeks we've had, I'll take any beer any night. Like, let's be honest. Domestically challenged by the Laramere Beer Company. Not as good as the Mojo, but I I stuck in Colorado somehow randomly today uh, with these two beers. Um, But, uh, you know, I like it all right. What are you having? Uh, So right now I am having, I was just checking our website to make sure we hadn't had it on here, and we haven't. Uh, Another suggestion from uh, Leah, and uh, I'm up in Columbus, so uh, big shout out to her. This one I've had for a while. It's more well known. It's uh, a great beer, the Great Lakes Brewing Company's Christmas Ale. It's a delicious beer, Um, spices, honey. It, it's right up your alley. I think you would. Uh, I'm you jealous. Would, I'm uh, jealous. You hopped into those Christmases. I can't wait, man. It's coming up. I know. And they just. I think they just right on around Columbus. It's obviously local. Um, in case you didn't already pick that up, given the whole Great Lakes theme. Um, but it's. Um, they just. I think hit the shelves like in the past like couple of weeks. So we we got here. We're here for uh, Thanksgiving week. And decided to shout out to some uh, some local beers up here. So Great Lakes Brewing. Everybody, I think, pretty much knows. Is that them. Cleveland where it originates from? Yeah, it's. Uh, I believe it's right out of um, Cleveland, Ohio. So yeah, it's down the street. I've, and we've gone by there before on a couple um, just long drives and things like that. But uh, super, 
super, it's a great beer. It's honestly delicious. And a lot of people, you know, travel back and come back for the holidays on Thanksgiving and Christmas and pick up six packs or two, you know, a couple six packs and bring them back to Virginia so they can make sure they can get some. I am drinking my last few pumpkin beers this week. I had some put aside for Thanksgiving. I wanted to take them up to the to the family and let them partake. So I've got the Headless Heron that I had last year on the podcast, and I've got some Stouts Brewery pumpkin uh, lager that is really good, and it's kind of a more easy drinking pumpkin. And and then what we're going to do at Thanksgiving this year is we did it two years ago, carve the, the middle out of the pumpkin and pour Sam Adams Boston lager in there, and we put a spigot on it. And so you let it sit for a couple hours with nutmeg and cinnamon with the Sam Adams, and it soaks into the pumpkin, and then you you know you drain it out, and it it's like a homemade pumpkin beer, wow. and it's it's actually really really good. That's that's uh that sounds delicious. Yeah, doing that in a couple of days here, I'm excited. So just to round out our final thoughts on the game, will the fact that it's a rivalry game actually fire the team up? I think that's the question, because if if you look at it just regularly, I we're gonna need something that's not normal in order to pull off this win. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think the, you know, Fuente came out and he said they have some videos from former players. You know, if you followed the team closely and you, you'll probably figure out who those players are that, uh, that some of them already put out, started putting out videos and stuff on Twitter saying how much this game, you know, means just to remind everybody uh, to the fan base. Uh, so they're going to do that. But, yeah, we're going to need some additional firepower to to pull this off, quite frankly. Just the, the state that we're in, the performances we've been seeing on the field, I think we, we absolutely will. I, I hope that they come out and just kill it and, and, and have a great game and play efficiently and as a team, a cohesive unit with a lot of energy. But, you know, that energy and, you know, a lot of enthusiasm and, you know, that cohesiveness is what it's actually going to take to win this game because right now, uh, UVA for for better forces, you know, it's they're playing, they're they're playing better than us, and that gives us a chance to kind of reverse things and you know give a little bit of an upset to them when they're thinking that they're riding high, which would be nice. But the numbers and the statistics and you know even even the point spread would not point that direction. So we're gonna have to rely on something more than just X's and O's, and there's gonna have to be some emotion in there as well. UVA played Georgia Tech the week before this game, so maybe a little bit of a body blow, but nothing. <laughs> we, we've got our own body blows to deal with. Hopefully we can impose our will in the trenches against this weaker defensive line because it really is that. They're going to have to be rushing their linebackers and putting pressure with their linebackers on our offensive line because they just don't have the horses up front. Uh, they lost Manny Alonzo a couple weeks ago on the defensive line, so it, it's – they're, they've they've got their own issues. I mean, it's late in the season. Everyone's got issues right now. I talked about the run game, talked about peoples. It would be nice to get Grimsley back as well in this game, I think, because of that short passing game. Might work well to stretch their linebackers and put some pressure on them to cover and different things so they're not always at the line of scrimmage. We need everything to go our way, though. Like We need penalties. We need turnovers. We need special teams. And maybe... With all that stuff going our way, we can pull it off. But the sustainability is the biggest concern. We can come out like gangbusters and play great for a quarter and a half, but that's not going to be enough. It's just not going to be. So I don't know how we're going to sustain it. There are some guys getting more healthy. And Fuente, I think, and the staff is focusing on the fact that like they are trying to get guys back on the field for this game. Like just If they can play one more freaking game, get them back on the field and play this game. And we saw a few more guys come back last week. Maybe we can get a few more bodies this week because a win would be so good for morale. I, I, I can't imagine what the players are going through on this miserable lo- losing four games in a row, five out of six. Uh, the, these actual players are killing themselves week in and week out. We're, we just talk about it on the podcast and we're miserable. So I can only imagine how miserable they are. I would agree with all of that. The only thing that I would say to add on to that is if you pull off the win, you still have to play Marshall. So I, I, 
I'm sticking to my guns. I understand the extra practices. I understand what it can mean for a team. I know, understand the bull streak. I get all of it. But then you have to go play Marshall. So, but we need, but we do, and I'm sure it's out of their mind. What might not be the best, but we we have to. We need to beat UVA. Like, yeah. we need to focus on beating UVA. It's not yeah. whether we need to or not, because if we lose, the world's not going to end. Uh, you know, the, although some Hokie fans might think it might, and they might be punching their TV screens at seven o'clock on Black Friday night. If we lose and we go four and seven, we're going to be okay. Like, yeah. But I'm not worried about Marshall right now. We, we, what we need to do to win this game is get insanely lucky and sustain our play for 60 minutes like that we need to play better than we've played in half of the season and i it's unlikely but we've seen crazy stuff happen in rivalry games every year yeah so i'm hoping why can't we beat one rival- of those crazy i'm ones? hoping for a rivalry event because right now yeah. i haven't seen anything on the field with the opponents that we've had in the last four weeks that gives me any thought that we really have from a yeah, a true just kind of football versus football outside of a rivalry game, then we'd probably be ten point dogs right now if it wasn't if it wasn't a rivalry game. So uh, I think that we these players really need to take it seriously and come out and play um, and play their hearts out. Uh, I think that's what it's going to take. It's kind of funny we've got two hired hands at quarterback for both of these teams. You know, we got a Kansas transfer on one side. We got a JUCO Arizona State transfer on the other side, and these guys are like, "I really want to win this rivalry game." It's like neither neither one of them give a crap about the state of Virginia or anything like that. But at least it's equal. You know, we don't have a guy who grew up in Virginia that desperately wants to win for UVA. It's two, like I said, hired hands, and we'll see who comes out the victor. The line is three and a half. UVA is favored. Obviously, it's come down. Because it was, I think, four and a half. Dropped to four, and now it's three and a half. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm taking UVA against the spread. And I am hoping for the reverse jinx. Robbie, who you got? I'm taking UVA as well. Uh, and let's let's pray for the reverse jinx on this. <laughs> I hope let's it, do it. I think it maybe will help out. Um, it worked last week for me. I picked Miami, and uh, nope, it didn't work. Uh, so <laughs> it just it just paid off. So uh, I, I don't know what to do anymore. So we're just guessing at this point. But uh, I do think that on paper UVA would cover three and a half. I mean, we thought it was going to be what uh, six or seven. No, nah, I thought it, I, I thought would, it was going to be like five, five and a half. Is okay. was was my guess, and so. You know, just based on that, there's two points sitting there. So if I was going to bet it, I would certainly bet UVA. Absolutely. But I hope the emotion of Virginia Tech just takes over and doesn't matter. Next game, Florida at Florida State. Florida's number 11 in the latest college football playoff rankings, and they're five-and-a-half-point favorites over Florida State. I'm going to make it quick. I'm taking Florida. Florida State's bad. Agree. We can just move on. I think everybody agrees. Syracuse at Boston College. Syracuse is 20. Boston College is unranked, but Boston College is seven and a half point favorites. I think this is because of Dungy's injury. He left the game against Notre Dame. I don't know his status. This is a rivalry game in and of itself. Most of these are. That's a lot of points. I I don't know. I'm going to take BC at home. What do you got? I was about to cut in to help you out. I was just going to take BC. Um, But, and I do agree with you that this could go sideways. So I wouldn't bet that I would never touch this line if I was actually, you know, going to bet on it because of the whole dungeon thing. Georgia Tech at Georgia. Georgia is number five, 17 point favorites over Georgia Tech. Oh, man, this is tough because Georgia Tech really does have a good offense, has been playing well lately. They're currently sitting at second in the coastal behind Pitt. But Georgia's defense is so good. Who do you got? I think I'm going to take Georgia Tech. I want to go Georgia just because. But Georgia's got to look ahead. They're already like, and it's not an immediate look ahead. I understand that. But like, they got to be start thinking about Alabama 
right now, mm-hmm. and all they need to do is get by with a win here. And I know it's a it's not a rivalry game anymore. I mean, this is this is Georgia is on like an elite level like of uh, you know play right now. So I think Georgia is just gonna if they get up by you know ten points, they're gonna be like, okay, let's just you know maybe get another field goal and just kind of let it be. But that's not to say that if if Georgia was playing well and playing hard, they could blow them out by like. 35 which is frightening yeah. to me it, it, it's a tough one to pick it really is because georgia tech's defense is so bad and there's a chance that georgia could just stifle their offense oh man um i'm gonna take it's 17 points i'm gonna take georgia tech in the rivalry next game nc state at unc i don't like that pick at all if you couldn't tell <laughs> nc state is seven point favorites on the road at the one win unc tar hills or wait, did they get a second win against Western Carolina? I, I think they remember. may have. Oh, Seven okay. points? Yeah. It's do you think it should be more? Uh yeah. Yeah. I think um Yes, absolutely it should be more. I think people are right. relying on what just kind of recently like UNC looks like they have like some oxygen left in the tank, but Well, UNC know. I'm trying to think who has the upper hand in this in this rivalry. I think I think State beats them quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take NC State too, and and it, yeah, they did get a second win against Western Carolina. Just for clarity. Next game, Wake at Duke. Twelve and a half point favorites for Duke, and I, I had to check that one a couple times because it just didn't look right. Uh, Wake has had some good games this year, and North Carolina game maybe. Uh, I'm going to take Wake. I'm that going like Wakey Leaks. Wakey Leaks. Yes. I'm taking it back to a, a season or two ago when I was taking Wake every week. Uh, next game, Pitt at Miami. Pitt's number 24, actually, in the ladies' college football playoff rankings. They are ranked. Uh, should that make us feel better about the game? Probably not from two weeks ago, but they are six-point favorites over Miami. This is in Miami. Um, I am going to take Pitt. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, I And because... Right now, Pitt is – they do have something to play for because now they're about to go into the throes of it with Clemson. And they need to, like, prove and, like, have some, like, confidence that they can actually do something against Clemson. We know they can't, but we won't tell them that. Like, shh, shh, don't say anything. But they need to feel like they can do something. And I think this is a chance for them to build some confidence. Um, we'll see if it happens. And then Miami's coming off of obviously the game against us, so probably they they they're feeling uber confident, and they don't realize that we're we're not we're not that good. And the last two we're gonna pick, we're going outside the ACC. We didn't want to pick Clemson or versus South Carolina or Kentucky versus Louisville because we're just not that interested in those games. So Apple Cup, Washington at Washington State. Washington is number sixteen. Wazoo is number eight, and Wazoo is three-point favorites at home. They've had an incredible season. They've got the funniest coach in FBS. Wazoo. I got got to stick with him. I mean, I can't do anything else. I was blown away at what they were able to do last week because I thought there was a chance Arizona could upset them, and that was the furthest thing from the truth. So I'm going to take them too. Have we made every pick the same? I think we have. Uh, um, yeah, we're kind of hitting mind melds given that you and I are. <laughs> we per- spent too much time together last week. <laughs> we're percentage our picks this year are off by one pick. We're and and we've picked a lot of stuff different too. And yeah. oh, but it's started to kind of collapse down to like fifty six percent, basically fifty seven percent on the year. So last game, Michigan at Ohio State, the one they call the game. Michigan's number four. Ohio State is 10. Michigan, four-point favorites on the road. Oh, boy. This is another tough one when you consider, like, the historical, at least the last few years, the way Ohio State has pretty much owned Michigan. Um, Michigan's really good, and Ohio State's defense is sorry. And uh, Why don't you make a... Why don't you go first? You're a little. You're in Columbus, so you should go first. Oh, that's that's great. Thanks. I'm gonna catch a catch a right fist for this. Uh, I listen. I hate Harbaugh. I hate everything about him, and that's not because of Ohio State. 
I'm not a big fan of uh, not a big fan of some of the people in Ohio State either. Not to go into any names, but um, you know, I think I've made that pretty clear. I'm still going to have to go Michigan, even though Harbaugh is the coach that I hate most in the entire country, um, probably by far. I just think that my biggest concern right now is that Michigan has put together a really, really decent offense to go with one of the best defenses in, you know, in, well, they've had great defenses the last five years, but this one is, you know, incredible. And all they need is a pretty competent offense. They have a competent, competent offense and Ohio state defense is struggling mightily. I'm going to take Ohio State against the points. I don't think they're going to win, but just with that four number, I'm thinking – obviously I'm thinking it's going to be a three-point game. So I'm going to take Ohio State against the four and maybe even pull that spoiler. It's – you know, they both got one loss, correct? And everyone's been dogging Ohio state. This, it just seems like a time where we could see something funky, but this has been one of the more chalky years in college football. I'd I'd even venture to say it's one of the most boring years I can remember in college football. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, people said like, you know, the playoff has been, everybody was in the same place from last week to this week from the college pool, you know, playoff rankings. Let's just say that, um, uh, people uh, around here are gonna like you a lot more than they like me after that pick. So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm in dangerous territory at this point. All right, hate week. Let's focus on UVA, right? We let we whether Marshall happens or not. Let's focus on UVA. And honestly, if we lose, <laughs> in some ways, it'd be like putting down a sick dog. You know, <laughs> let's let's be perfectly honest about it. Uh, I think there'd be some people that would be even relieved if we lost because there wouldn't be that open possibility of losing another game. But we do not want to lose to UVA. We don't. So let's keep the streak alive. Let's let the guys who are healing come back on the field, play hard, and let's rally, man. Let's. I saw someone post on TKP like it's rally time, and and it is. Let's. We hate these guys. We hate that team. Uh, if only for one week. And let's go out there and beat them and then like put them down in their place in a year where they're supposed to beat us. I like it. That was my little, uh, you know, the old win one for the Gipper speech there. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Anyway, hit us on Twitter at 2DVT, at 2DVT on Instagram. 2DVT.com is the website. 2DVT at gmail.com is where you can email us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for checking in on our Instagram lives. If you did, thanks for liking and subscribing and all the stuff that you do for the podcast. It's been a especially trying season, and we just appreciate anyone who's still listening because there's a lot of people still listening. It's kind of amazing how many how many people are still downloading the podcast every week after what a dreadful season we've had. So we, we do really appreciate it. And until next time, go Hokies. Thank you.